Welcome to Sports History 101. Hello, people. Thank you for listening today. I appreciate you taking some time to listen to Sports History 101. I am your host, Ray Delgado. If you don't already know that, if you've listened before, welcome back. I appreciate that again. And if it's your first time, thanks for stopping by. Hopefully you uh, take something away from this. If you do like this, maybe go back, give a few of the uh, previous episodes a listen. I think we've got some good ones on tap for you. So for today, as you could tell by the episode title, we are talking about the NBA All-Star Game. So the NBA is naturally one of the largest leagues in the world. And has done a really great job of marketing itself and putting a great image out there. One that is marketable to basically every country in the world, more or less. And one of the ways that they do that very well is with their All-Star Game. So the NBA itself, for those who are not familiar, that is the National Basketball Association. That is the highest level of basketball in the world. I'm pretty sure that people can agree on that. And it is in the United States. There are other leagues all around the world, European leagues that are fantastic basketball. But I think it's widely recognized that the NBA is the pinnacle. Some people might or some players might choose to stay in their respective countries or stay in Europe to play because they can get very good money and very good competition and all that. But I think it's the NBA, I, I believe, is where it's at. And if anyone would like to refute that statement, by all means, let me know. So the NBA was formed in 1949 when basketball was definitely a fledgling sport in terms of popularity. Baseball dominated everything. Baseball, the greatest sport. Again, if you uh, would like to refute that, you can always, you know, reach out. I will disagree with you, but... Baseball was, and still is, my opinion, obviously, the best sport, and it dominated the public mostly almost through the entirety of the 20th century. And in just two years into the NBA, in it being in existence, which is 1951, basketball was at an all-time low. There were seven colleges, most of which, I think four of which were in New York State, and then there were three others that were uh, around the country. They were involved in a point-shaving scandal. And point-shaving, for the people in the back, is essentially fixing games. So players agree with some kind of betting person, and they say, you know, we're either going to throw this game, so we're going to lose this game on purpose, or we're going to try and win this game by a certain number of points so that the person betting on the game has a guaranteed win. That's illegal and has happened in sports a number of times, and it's not cool. So in 1951, that happened in college basketball, which really turned a lot of people off to the sport of basketball on all levels. So the sport needed some new life, and the NBA had this amazing idea that wasn't at all a new one. The Major League Baseball All-Star Game started all the way back in 1933 and was successful. It drew lots of people. I mean, at face value, the best players in the American League and the National League got together and played a game against each other. So, awesome thing. 
something that people would definitely want to see. So the NBA commissioner, Maurice Podoloff, I believe is how you say that name, publicity director Haskell Cohen, and Boston Celtics owner Walter Brown met, and they were essentially trying to come up with a way to gain more attention for the NBA, some more fanfare around the league, and Cohen suggested that they do an all-star game. So there's conflicting accounts, really, in all of this. There's a New York Times article that that came out when Cohen died that said that it was his idea to start the All-Star game. Another one on NBA.com said Brown, the Celtics owner, he wanted to do it and that no one else in the league wanted to do it. And the commissioner even asked him to call it off and not do the All-Star game, fearing that it would be a flop and be an embarrassment. But Brown insisted and said he'd cover the costs and any losses. So not really sure which one's true, who came up with it, and who really pushed it through. But I mean, realistically, that doesn't really matter because it ended up a success. The um, game ended up drawing over 10,000 people. And Cohen, so that's the publicity director, he suggested that players for participating to kind of sweeten the pot a little bit would get a gift. The commissioner wanted to spend at maximum $2.25. I didn't look up what that was in inflation, but not that much. Basically enough for like a pin or something or maybe a ring, but probably not that. Cohen didn't think that was enough, so he managed to actually cut a deal with a local store and got each player a television set. So that's pretty, you know, that's pretty substantial. I mean, in 1951, that's a pretty big deal. So that 1951 All-Star game, you know, went off, I don't know about without a hitch, but it was it was largely successful. Like I said, it was played in front of over 10,000 people, which was by no means a sellout for the Boston Garden. But it was still a great turnout, better than, again, in some accounts, than what they would have expected. So how the All-Star Game works, or worked, I should say, was players were selected to represent the Eastern and Western Conferences. So the NBA is split into two different conferences, East and West. And players out that were on teams in each conference were picked for their respective conference to play. And they were picked by a panel of sports writers and broadcasters that chose the starting five and then three bench players. And then coaches chose the final two players for each team, making 10 players each side. So that was that way until 1961. So about 10 years later, the team size actually grew to 12. So they had two extra players on each side. There were rules that each team had to be represented by at least one player because back in the day, the NBA did not have that many teams. And a max of three players. And all of this was the case until 1973. 1973, there was a big change to the structure of just how the league worked in general. Fan voting was introduced. So instead of just having the sports writers and the broadcasters choose the starting five and the bench players and everything, fans were allowed to actually participate in it, which is a huge deal. I mean, that wasn't something that any other league was doing. 
well, really only baseball was kind of the benchmark and baseball, major league baseball was not instituting fan voting in their all-star game um, selection process to that point. So the NBA decided to do something, you know, totally out of, out of the norm. So the fans were actually got to choose the five starters for each side. So it was literally just, you know, you voted for your favorite players. You voted for, I think it was probably your top five players. And the players that received the most votes got to start. Granted, it was at each position. So there were two guards, two forwards, and then there was a center position. So the top top two of, you know, guards and forwards and then the top center in terms of how many fan votes they got were the starters. And then the seven reserves, so it didn't necessarily go all the way from one to 12. Those were your all-stars. Top five were your starters. Those were picked by fans. And then the seven reserves were chosen by the conference's coaches. So the coach that was chosen to represent the East and the West for the all-star game then chose the seven other players that would be a part of his team for the all-star game itself. So that was kind of, that was the structure. I mean, really the big shakeup was the fact that fans got to vote, but uh, largely it was East versus West and it was a, it was a big deal for quite a while, I guess you could say, you know, and then really everything remained largely the same all the way up through 2016. So, I mean, that's, is that 25? That's like 40 years that nothing really changed with the All-Star game. And, I mean, that in itself tells you that it was it was largely successful. But in 2016, it really needed a kind of a shift in what, what was happening uh, to get kind of more fanfare back to it and to modernize everything. So, I'll get more into the the modern changes of the all-star game after a, a quick break in 2016 players and media joined the voting so before it was you know a panel of sports writers and broadcasters and then the fans basically took it all over and then in 2016 players and media kind of rejoined well media rejoined but players actually got a say in it for the first time so in that season, the fan vote, which was 100% before for the starters and everything, uh, was dropped to 50%. And then the players in the media each got 25% of the share of the vote. So that really shook things up, you know, it changed things around. It's It was cool to get the players actually having a say in what's what's going on. I mean, granted, that's only like, you know, 150 people or something. Cause the bet, you know, there's, there's only so many players on an NBA team and there's only 30 teams. So it's not a huge, huge number, but you know, it's cool to see the players actually get an input and in who they think is the best around. Cause obviously some of them are just going to vote for themselves and that's whatever, but you, you get to see who they respect and who they deem worthy to be, you know, one of the best recognized as one of the best players in the league. So 2018, there was a huge change to the game. I mean, that was only four years ago, so not that long ago. I'm sure those basketball fans um, remember exactly what happened. 
basically the East versus the West was no more. That was done. There were, there are still, you know, 14 players from each conference. So the, there were uh, two more players added in at some point. So 14 players from each conference and the same voting process. So, you know, fans get 50%, players and media each get 25%. But the two players receiving the most votes from each conference were named captains. And then for the All-Star game, there's basically a draft. So the captains would get alternate choice and they would pick their pick who they were going to play with for the All-Star game. So they would they pick from the pool the starters first. So there's obviously 10 starters. And naturally, the two captains are starters. So there's eight other players. So they go back and forth, alternate choice between the two of them until the starters are picked. And then they move on to the reserves. And that's how it works now. So now it's not you know East versus West. It's Team LeBron versus Team Giannis. You know, it's it's team, you know, team whoever the best player is from each side. So it, it mixes in the East and the West now, which is it's kind of cool. You know, it was interesting to see the East versus the West play, but I've never really watched an all-star game and kind of talk about it a little bit later. It's not really the highest level of competition. So this helps shake it up at least a little bit. So to go back a little bit. Well, of quite a few years, actually, you know, the All-Star Game isn't just a standalone event anymore. It's a it's a full weekend. It's an All-Star weekend now. And there's quite a few different contests that are added in. Like in 1986, the dunk contest and the three-point contest were thought of. And, you know, they became a part of the part of the weekend. And then later there's skills challenges and there's a celebrity game and, you know, all kinds of stuff going on. And that really added to the the draw, especially for like the host city, you know, it's not just that one game, that one all-star game that happens. There's quite a few events that will bring in hopefully more people, you know, people sticking around or, or coming for the event and then sticking around for multiple days to be able to get the whole experience rather than just staying for one night or something, you know, that, that does quite a bit for the host city and what they can bring in in terms of revenue. So that's kind of all the semantics done. And, uh, but I wanted to touch on some of the highlights of some of the some big game moments from the from the All Star Games in the past. So starting off with 1968, I mean, it wasn't really a phenomenal game, but it was an unbelievable Hall of Fame roster. Like if you look back, it's just an, an unbelievable group of guys. So from the East, you had Oscar Robertson, Jerry Lucas. Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, and John Havlicek. And those are huge names. I mean, if if you have any kind of knowledge of the history of the NBA, I mean, those are huge, huge players. And then from the West, you had Jerry West. You had Lenny Wilkins and Elgin Baylor. And those are three more just phenomenal players and Hall of Fame players as well. So then we move forward a little bit. 1972. Uh, Jerry West, who is the, if you see the NBA logo, the guy whose outline is on the logo, that's Jerry West. Uh, he made a a buzzer beater to win the game for the West and like it was a big deal. And, you know, back then it was a real competition. Like you wanted to win just as much as you would a normal game from the start. And 
into the 70s, what we're talking about right now, 1972, I mean, it, that starts to dwindle because it, it, at the end of the day, it's still an exhibition game. But at that time, too, contracts really weren't great for players. So the winner's share of earnings for the game, because it moved from just a gift to you actually, you know, get a, some compensation for it, is actually a big deal. So Jerry West, you know, made that shot for, for the West to win the game. And that was probably a pretty big driver in it and why he tried so hard and why the players tried so hard is because, you know, that that tacking that extra few thousand dollars or whatever exactly was under their check was was a big deal. Uh, One of the bigger moments of the NBA was the NBA ABA merger. So the American Basketball Association uh, merged with the NBA and that brought. Guys like Dr. Dre, David Thompson, George McGinnis, Artis Gilmore. The ABA really, I mean, was known as the more exciting of the two leagues before they, they merged. So guys, like who I just mentioned, they, it was really a high-flying type of basketball, really exciting and something that the NBA was kind of lacking a little bit. And in 1977, those guys got to play in the NBA All-Star game. And they really burst onto the scene and made it something uh, pretty cool, you know, and just something uh, more more of a show, a lot more fun and, and cool, uh, more so than the NBA was before. So then we move forward a little bit and go to 1988 with um, the dunk contest. So this isn't necessarily the All-Star game, but the dunk contest because this is one of the most iconic moments in the history of the NBA. And that's Michael Jordan dunking from the free throw line. And you know, the, the amazing pictures that there are that of him literally flying like something that 99.9% of the human population could never and will never even dream of doing something, being able to jump like that. Uh, that's like that's one of the most iconic moments ever. So you had to bring it up, and it really started to launch Michael Jordan into. Well, that was Air Jordan right there. Like that's the epitome of Air Jordan, his nickname. So, and on top of that, in that 1988 game, he also scored 40 points and was the MVP. So that's that's a big deal in itself. So in 1997. The league named their 50 greatest players in the NBA to that point. And it's much like the 75, right? Like most recently, because it's 75 years of the NBA this year. um, They named the 50 greatest. And what was really cool and why this is noteworthy, it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with the game itself. But they were able to have 47 of the 50 players actually attend the game and have a halftime celebration with 47 of the 50 greatest players in the NBA history. For the three that weren't there, uh, Pete Maravich had passed away. Uh, Jerry West was actually having surgery, so he couldn't make it. And then Shaquille O'Neal was ill. So they could have honestly had 49 of 50, the only absent person you know, being uh, deceased. So obviously couldn't make it. But that's pretty cool to be able to get 47 of the 50 people and celebrate them like they deserved was was very cool. 
one of the more iconic moments from the all-star game just in itself and was something really cool in in a sense passing the baton was in 1998 with michael jordan versus kobe bryant so michael jordan was in his final season with the bulls you know the last dance the best best documentary i've ever seen in my life on netflix if not if you're not even really that much of a basketball fan i think it's definitely worth a watch it's on netflix you know shameless plug it was awesome i've seen it a couple times and in that documentary they talk about this this all-star game one that was going to be jordan's last i mean he was he retired after the 98 season we won't talk about him coming back a few years later but uh this was his last hurrah and it was Kobe's first all-star game and everyone knew Kobe was going to be a a star because of just how great he was, but this was his first all-star game and he wanted to prove, you know, prove his medal essentially. And he decided to go toe to toe with Michael Jordan. And it was your veteran, the old crafty vet versus the youth and the energy. The the game to that point had been had long been a really easygoing thing. You know, you don't really give that much effort. It's not that big a deal. But Kobe pushed Jordan and he wanted to show that that he could hang with him. And Michael Jordan absolutely loved it. He saw the same spirit that he had in Kobe and absolutely loved it. They uh, they pushed each other back and forth and. Jordan ended up with the better deal. You know, he was named the MVP of the game and he would 23, eight and six. So he had 23 points, eight rebounds and six assists and uh, really great recap. Like I said, in the, that documentary, the last dance and yeah, just one of the cool things, especially seeing, you know, now Kobe has, has passed away, seeing stuff like that and seeing the drive that they had and the relationship that they had was very cool. There were some other good performances in the 2000s, but kind of just more run-of-the-mill. I mean, there were some, you know, big shots-ish and some record-setting, you know, points performances, but it's the All-Star game, so it doesn't really matter that much. But, you know, at the at the beginning, from its roots, the All-Star game, like any, started as elite competition. It was... Something that was really great for fans to see and players took pride in winning the game, especially when it was East versus the West. You know, the East beat the West, the West beat the East. It was it was a cool thing. It was a point of pride. But it was and is still just an exhibition game. And when all is said and done, it's a spectacle. You know, it, it's supposed to be a fun thing uh, for the fans and for the players. And I'm sure it's really great to attend. I'm sure people who actually go to the All-Star Game very much enjoy it. But it really is basically impossible to watch on TV. There's no competition. I mean, the players are having fun. You can tell. And and that's not really fun to watch, at least not for me and a lot of the people I've talked to. They're all buddies. They all hang out. They're having a good time. They play easy. You don't want to risk an injury in an in an exhibition game like that. It's, it's not really worth it. So it, it largely turns out to be pretty boring, but it's like any other All-Star game. And the full weekend helps. You know, the full 
all-star game weekend with the three-point contest, the skills contest, the dunk contest. It's kind of all lost its luster a little bit too, but it's it definitely adds more to it. And some of those events are, are watchable. And you know, hardcore basketball fans still really enjoy those and some of the casual ones too. But by and large, it's a, it's a great event to attend. And I'm sure it's a bunch of money for the host city that gains millions of dollars just from from people being there and like i said earlier with it being a full weekend now there's a whole bunch of events people stay there longer which means more money which which is great for the host city and great for the economy and then also great for the league too and really at this point it's necessary for the league now i mean the league can't um essentially go without the all-star game that brings in quite a bit of revenue for them and it's a the break in the season is is good and everything and and it's a yeah it's just it's just a necessary part of the game so the nba all-star game as i mentioned it's just a huge spectacle larger than any other i mean the nba knows how to market itself better than any other professional league like i said at the top of the podcast and the game accordingly brings in the most money I mean, the other other games like the NFL Pro Bowl and stuff, no one cares about that. Major League Baseball All-Star Game, I mean, not really there either. The Home Run Derby does a little bit, but the NBA definitely does the best, the best job. And they create as much fanfare around the game, and it's just as entertaining, each unentertaining each time. I mean, that's just one man's opinion, like I said. For those that disagree, let me know. But... Yeah, it's just they do a great job of marketing it. Everybody goes, you know, there's a lot of buzz around it and it's just not fun, not cool. It's just not uh Yeah, I won't I won't harp on that anymore. But, you know, like I said if you if you feel differently, we'd love to hear why you think to the contrary. And that about wraps it up for the history of the NBA All-Star game. I know I kind of glossed over quite a few years of history there. There were some some big games and big moments, but I mean some of them were obscure names that people probably wouldn't know. And, and honestly, no one really remembers why it was a big deal because it was just an all-star game. But nevertheless, it's a cool thing and something that the NBA and every other major sports league will continue to do for a very long time. So thank you for listening. And as always, for taking some time to some time out of your day to spend it learning some sports history. And until next time, Stay safe and remember that Jesus loves you.